today? Because you're at church and because you slept an extra hour and all of God's saints said, amen. Okay, good. We're glad that you're at church and we're glad you got some extra sleep. It's enjoyable in the fall to have that extra hour. Well, today we've got about an hour that we spend in worship and if you didn't know coming in that it was Mission Emphasis Sunday, M-E-S, then you probably knew something was up whenever we didn't have our traditional like number of songs between the welcome and communion. You go, what is going on today? We really rushed to communion. Well, we've got a second offering that we're making later this morning, and this offering is particularly important to our church family. Most of you know this, but in case you don't, it's important that you do to understand today, so give me just a moment to explain it. Once a year, we make pledges that fund our international missions for the whole next year. That doesn't mean that you give it all this morning. Some people will make a pledge that I'll put something in every month or every week over the course of the next year. But today is the one day in which we make the pledges to fund our international missions for the whole rest of the year. And so this is a pretty big and important morning to us. And we're going to spend some time in prayer today offering this to God because when we spend, you know, this much time thinking about what we're going to give for the course of a whole year, we have to deal with a couple of these facts about humanity. The first one is this. I don't even know where I'm going to be next year. Oh, I know where I think I'm going to be. But I don't know for sure where God's going to put me 12 months from now. Can you say for certainty, church, that you know where you'll be 12 months from now? No. And I don't know, here's the second thing, what God is going to do or to allow to happen in our world within the next 12 months. Do we know what God is going to do or allow to happen in our world within the next 12 months? No, we think we know, right? We think we know what will happen in the world if certain people are elected. We think we know what will happen if certain tensions between nations in the world erupt. We think we know so much, but the truth is, is we're taking a leap of faith every time we give to God, aren't we, church? And so I'm going to invite you to stand again with me for a moment of prayer, because there is nothing that is so important in what I could say this morning or in what Todd Hook will say when we give this offering as that God is here with us and that he is in our giving. Amen, church? Amen. And so let's invite God to lead us as we talk about a leap of faith. Our Father in heaven, we all come before you standing in honor of you, the great creator, our redeemer and Lord. You know all things from the beginning of time to the end of time. You know every day that's written in our book before one of them comes to be. God, you know what will really happen with the monies that are given today for our Missions Emphasis Sunday. And you know where they'll be needed next year. And so, God, we are so thankful that you make us part of the plan. But we also want to, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, to turn over to you in loving faith, in trust, the monies that we dedicate to you today, asking you, God, to use them well for your kingdom. God, please let your name be made great in all of the world. And to this, all of the church says, in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So a leap of faith is an interesting phrase. And I found it fascinating that our missions committee chose a leap of faith to be 
our trademark or our brand for missions this year. This is why I think it's so fascinating. It's a phrase that Christians hold dear, but oftentimes the world laughs at. The idea of making a leap of faith, this is the way the world often thinks of it or sees it. Oh, you Christians, you walk up to the edge of an abyss and you have a blindfold on your eyes and you leap into the dark and you pray, God, please catch me. And they think it's so foolish that we would rely on something that can't be proven. So we often have conversations about faith. Don't people in the world also rely on things that are uncertain? How do you really know what will come in your life this time a year from now? Or in the world this time a year from now? And and so on. Don't you trust your car when you start it to run? And we come up with analogies to, to try to prove to the world, well, you all live on faith all of the time. Maybe you just don't see it or you don't get it. But they kind of laugh at us. You guys put on the blindfold. You take the jump. You take the leap. How can you do that? Well, we take great confidence, don't we, in believing that there is someone in control. And part of the reason that we have that confidence is because we have seen in human experience what it's like when only people are in control. And I want to show you a scripture that's very familiar to all of us today that talks about control. This passage that we call the Great Commission, I mean, it's kind of like the only passage you use when you talk about missions, right? But this passage is really a passage about control. Who is in charge? And so Jesus comes to his disciples that now number 11, because Judas is gone, and they went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, obeying the one who was in control. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but notice this, some doubted. And we ask, wow, after all of that time with Jesus, after seeing the transfiguration, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the water to wine, raising Lazarus from the dead, how could some of those 11 who saw him do those things still doubt? Nevertheless, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. What are these guys supposed to do? How do these guys make a decision about Jesus? The world so often accuses us of not having maybe the right outlook on life, and they're like, you take this blind leap of faith. But my question is, even the people who saw Jesus still had doubt. How is anyone supposed to know beyond doubt that he is God. These 11 have seen it all. They literally have step A, step B, step C, and, and so on, all the way down to Z. The Alpha and the Omega has been walking in the flesh around them. They've seen it, and yet they still in their hearts have some doubt. And the question is why? In the 1800s, there was a man named Soren And Soren was something of a philosopher, and he was also a Christian. And he and others at his time in history were dealing with this question of how we know things. For those of you who like to play around in philosophy a little, it's called epistemology. It means, how do we know anything? 
And so they would start with questions of what can we be sure of, like what can we touch or taste or feel? And then they would try to, from that, derive what are all of the philosophies or views or outlooks on the world that we can be certain of? And for men like Soren, who already believed in Jesus, there was always this question of like, how could you be certain about him? How do you go from the things that are and then believe in something like Jesus, something that's a little hard to believe in? And this man, Soren, is the first person that we know of who used this term, leap, to describe what happens inside the heart of a person. He didn't say a leap of faith, and he certainly didn't mean it was a leap into darkness with a blindfold on, but he said that everyone has to make a leap to faith. And this is the way he described it over 150 years ago. He said, just like Adam, who made a leap to sin, all people, when they come to Christ, have to make a leap to faith. And so in, in this way, like Adam, coming from a life of you know, purity and innocence in the garden to sin, it is a complete change of state in which at one moment you were something and at the next moment you are something else. And so at one moment you were not saved and at the next moment you're saved. You know, this is actually the way that Paul describes baptism in Romans chapter 6. You die to self, and you're raised in new life. You were something then, and you're something new now. And so this man, Soren, and other of his contemporaries, they, they kind of thought about this idea of a leap to something as meaning this. You could have all the proof in the world lined up time after time after time. But to come to God, there's still going to be a moment when a transformation occurs. Until that moment happens, and even after it happens, there's going to be some doubt. Why is there some doubt? Why is there this problem of always coming back and asking, God, how could you prove it to me? And so here we find the 11 who have seen it all, still struggling have I made the leap? And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is why this passage is about control. Jesus answers them in their doubt by saying, if you can believe one thing, believe this. Believe that I'm steering. Believe that I will lead Jesus says. Into them worshiping and in the middle of their doubt, he says, believe this, the power has been given to me. If you would believe that, then your life will change in the way he's about to instruct them. But to their problem of doubt, he says, believe this one thing, if you can't believe anything else. Believe that I will steer you. And this is where all of us people come, you know, to Jesus at different moments in our life. And even after we've been saved, we probably come back time after time wondering, is God really steering? Because we suffer many things and we hurt in life, and so we wonder sometimes, is God in control? And we see pain in the world, and so often we wonder, is God in control? And John, in the last couple of weeks, as he talked about a leap to faith, showed you this picture of this goldfish jumping from the one bowl to the other. And what did he call the fish? Fins? Messy? 
Missy. Oh, okay. Well, I like to call him Gil. <laughs> and so here you see Gil the goldfish, and he's jumping from the one bowl to the other. And as John used this picture, he was asking us to think about in missions, how do, we, how do we come to the world? And so there's these several ways. He said there's relief, there's rehabilitation, and there's development. Relief is when we look at someone who's suffering and we just offer something that alleviates the suffering temporarily. Rehabilitation is when we see something that used to be beautiful and it's been broken and we try to restore it to its former beauty. And development is when we see inside of someone the possibility for something that has never yet been. And we believe that God, through them, could do something great. And so we begin to teach them and to develop them and to hope that God will unveil the image of God inside of that person so that they can speak to their community in ways that we never could. And this goldfish here, as he's making the leap from the one bowl to the other, must have some thought in his head. And I want you to think about what that thought might have been. It's my understanding that goldfish don't think very much. Probably he was thinking something like this. Bloop. Or maybe in this exact moment, he wasn't thinking bloop. He was going, no bloop. <gasps> I'm in the air. <laughs> no bloop. Why isn't there a bloop? And in this moment, you wonder if maybe this goldfish, if you could see his thoughts in this, in this still frame, might be kind of looking back towards the other bowl going, why did I leave? And will I ever make it? Suddenly, I'm not in control. Until he lands and he splashes down and he begins to breathe again. A distance that has to be crossed only by faith. Jesus says after he addresses the control problem, this to the disciples, this is maybe the most famous passage for Christians in the New Testament, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Amen, church? And so here Jesus comes to us again through the Spirit through the words of scripture, and he asks you and me in the modern age to consider these things, to consider what it means to approach something that can only be crossed by faith. And we believe, but we sometimes doubt. We want to believe, and the world accuses us of taking blind steps, but we say, Jesus, you're in control, and we'll give you some of our control that takes the form of dollars, and we'll hand it over to you. But we do something else today, we say to Jesus, we will give you control of the future people in your kingdom, don't we, church? We want to provide relief. That means, you know, help people with some of their pains in the world. And we want to do rehabilitation and put beautiful things back together. But really, we want to develop or disciple people in other nations for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that there is something inside of the people of Mexico, of Haiti, of Africa, of Ukraine, and so many other places in the world that is an image of God that only he can make shine. And if we could help God in the process of making it shine, that would be the Great Commission. Amen, church. And so we offer not just our money to the control of Jesus, but we offer the future of his church 
There are so many things that we are uncertain about in our country right now. What will happen to faith here? But we believe in a God in all nations who can take this hidden gem inside of people, shape it and make it shine, and make his, his kingdom continue through all nations until the end of time. Amen, church? And so let us invest not just our money, but God's power through others as we give to missions this morning. I want to invite Todd Hook to come up here right now. Todd is going to lead us through the process of our MES contribution. He's also going to lead us through the children's giving. Todd, take it away. I want to start off by uh, explaining the envelopes. Uh, hopefully each of you got an envelope when you came in. Uh, this will be what you will put your pledge amount in. And let me just describe the envelope to you. Um, pull yours out so you can follow along with me. But the very top, there's a, the first line's blank, and it says total amount to be given as follows. That's where I want each and every, uh, we want each and every one of you to put your total amount. If it's $10 a week times 52 weeks, then $520. Whatever that total will be over the next year, if you'll put that there, that will help us tremendously. And then the following lines just basically tell us how that will be broken down. Um, there's a spot for donor's name. We do not track this. We just want to know where this came from in case we have a question. There have been numerous questions that have come up through the years where we needed to get back with the individual and find out what exactly they meant. We also want to encourage everybody to be a part of this. I have the privilege of going through these each and every year. I can't remember who gave what, but I do remember some of the gifts that were given. Just spare change, a couple of dollars. Maybe the name wasn't even on there, but you knew that that meant so much to that one person that they made that kind of a sacrifice. So be thinking about, if you haven't already, what you're going to put on this, and we'll be collecting these up here in just a moment. Before that, we're going to give our children an opportunity to give. Um, yesterday I spent a good bulk of the afternoon with Jacoby in Murfreesboro, Arkansas, digging through a bunch of dirt. We were there in hopes of finding a diamond at Crater Diamond State Park. Our hopes were to find one of these big ones that you see in the news occasionally, a six carat diamond that comes out of the ground and some little kid has found it and it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. We searched and we searched and we searched and we found a lot of cool rocks and we got dirty and we had some fun and it was a beautiful warm day and Jacoby brought home a diamond. He didn't find this. He didn't do anything for this. I was walking along a plowed row and I saw a glisten in the sun and I bent down and I dug it out of the ground and later I gave it to him. Well, turns out, and I knew this all along, but it's just a quartz crystal. It has no value to most people. But to Jacoby, as he told his pawpaw and John Dias this morning, he found a diamond. It has great value to him. I have a treasure in my other pocket. 
it's some loose change. Uh, I didn't even count it. it. Looks like about 75, 80 cents, maybe a little bit more than that. To some of our kids, that's very valuable. I remember back when I was a kid, this would have bought me a package of bubblegum cards, baseball cards. I might have found a Cal Ripken rookie card in that package. That would have been great value to me. We each have a certain value we put on our possessions, and our kids have a great value that they put on their possessions, as small as you and I might see it. And we're going to give them an opportunity to come forward and set an example for us in their giving. I had the privilege of going around to their classes a few weeks ago. Tom and I went and delivered some little goldfish bowls for them to collect their loose change in. And while I was with them, I read this story. And this comes from Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Our children are going to make a contribution here in a moment, and some of them will be giving everything, just like that widow did. It may not seem like much to us, but it's everything that we have given them. And I say we have given them. A lot of these kids are putting in their allowances, their allowances that their parents, their father has given them. I want to equate that to us. As we watch them, think about what our father has given us. None of what we have is really truly ours, but it's been a gift from our father to us. And if our kids are going to give everything they have, trusting that their father is going to take care of them and will provide a house for them and some food for them every day and some clothes to go to school in, I think we can, in the same way, trust that our father will give generously back to us when we give to him. All right. At this point, um, I know there's a lot of kids out here that have treasures. I've been hearing them jingle around. This is an annoying sound to me. When it's in my cup holder right beside me going down the road and it's jingling, it drives me nuts. When it's in my pocket, it drives me nuts. But this morning, I've heard a lot of this jingling, and it's beautiful music. So kids, if you've got some of that change, come on up, and let's put it in the fishbowl right now, okay? While they are doing that, if you did not get an envelope this morning when you came in, if you will raise your hand, some of the men will give you
Thank you, kids. That was, uh, it's always a joy to see that. And I got a couple of those special envelopes, too, that put a big smile on your face. And I hope that encouraged you. Maybe it encouraged you to put an extra zero on that number you put at the top or cross a line through there and maybe double that amount. But, again, um, we want everyone to be able to give. So if the men at this time would come and collect uh, the envelopes, I appreciate it, and we'll go on from there. Thank you. As one of the leaders to the, of the mission committee, I want to thank everyone for their generosity. I want to thank the children for the effort that they put in and the teachers that encourage the kids to give. It's an overwhelming time because we do so much in one day, but this lasts for a, for a lifetime for some of these kids that will be our future kids that go on to the mission field in different places. We are very thankful. I want to say a special thanks to Todd and Josh for the effort they put in, and John especially. We're very thankful for all the work that went in. We're thankful, very thankful for your generosity. And we hope that our effect throughout the world be, will be overwhelming for the people that we touch also. Thank you again. It's a great day.